Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Race Car on Sin 19.7 every Sunday at 3 p.m. We talk politics, current affairs, pop culture with a twist. Welcome, you are listening to uh, The Race Guard on Sin 90.7 FM and the time is just after 3 and uh, I'm Ahmed Yusuf, your host for this afternoon's show. Before we begin, I'm going to do a little acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners of the land on which we meet and we pay respect to their elders both past and present. This land was never ceded, and the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration, and genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. You're listening to our one-hour show where we chat politics, current affairs, and public culture with a little bit of a twist, as well as wrapping up the most thought-provoking issues in the week in Australia. Today we look at Australia's refugee intake, examine the on-screen depiction of Stonewall, and we feature the biggest, oh, oh, sorry, we feature media and TV diversity. Are we seeing a diverse Australia depicted? And uh, don't forget, you can get involved in all the discussions by texting in on 027-767-767. And uh, I'm not alone this week, and I've got um, two wonderful co-hosts to help me steer the ship and give you some of the biggest and best things from the week in Australia. And uh, some of my get, my my co-hosts are... Poppy Perot. Oh, sorry. I don't think I've got to check your microphone on. Could you uh, just repeat? Poppy Perot. Oh, thank you. And... Amina. Thank you. Um, and... Uh, um, I guess we're gonna, we're gonna go into things, um, and, uh, I guess look back at what we have got into in the past. We're, we're about the, we're about a few weeks until this season's over, so I thought, let's go back into the archives and check out what we've been doing, um, recently and some of the most interesting packages that we've gotten through. Um, I think one is what we found, what Melbournians thought of. Was racism. So let's find out what our fellow Melbourneans thought of. What is racism? No idea, mate. No idea? Depends who you're asking. My friend will tell you I'm very racist. <laughs> no, you're not. What's my definition of racism? Well, doesn't it? People, racist people are racist people. They don't like any other. Colours, nationalities, yeah. Thank you. What is racism to me? Something stupid. I don't agree with it. Don't like it. Don't think it should exist. What's racism? Um, I don't know. Racial prejudice. What about you? Just ignorance and hate. Um, fear of other races. What about your friend? Fear of other races. You can't copy my answer. So that is what some of Australians, oh, not Australians, um, yeah, Australians and people in Melbourne thought racism was. And, uh, don't forget, we're going, um, we're going to get, we're gonna actually going to head to a quick music break. And don't forget to get involved in all discussions by texting on 027-767. Tweet us using our Twitter handle, at the Scout. So here's some music. We'll be back on the other side. Oh. Do you, um, have you heard of the term white privilege? White privilege? No, not really. What do you think it means? I wouldn't even know, no. What's Haven't got a clue. Point? Don't know. Seriously. Privilege means being able to uh, go where you want without fear of being attacked. 
um, or like persecuted for how you look. Yeah. Hey. All right. So no, five seconds. Five seconds. Good for it. All right. So, what does the term white privilege mean to you? Yeah. What does what? White privilege. Uh, there is not such a thing, man. Not for me. Not for you. No, man. We are all the same. That's uh, all. We bodies red. We are all the same. All brothers. Uh, <laughs> what does the term white privilege mean to you? Uh, well, privilege for white people, I guess. Yeah, so, is this like racism kind of stuff? <laughs> what does it mean to you? Oh, well, I guess, Centrelink. White privilege, I guess, is the kind of um, specialty or privileges that the white people have here, I mean we are talking about the local white Australian, they're having you know, having access to welfare, housing and everything that is um, being state provided, I assume What does the term white privilege mean to you? Um, wow that's a, <clears throat> that's a pretty hard hitting question um, I suppose White privilege is kind of a monopoly of power and ideas when it comes to things like business, politics, government, media, uh, even things like the police and the military, dominated by people who all have uh, a collective set of assumptions that never gets tested by the people around them. You listen to Sin ninety point seven FM, and we are the Race Card. And that was some of the a bit of music from Flywire. And I thought, let's change it up a bit. We're going to be playing um, a bit of Sampa the Grand. I was uh, fortunate to hear her live at Northside Records a few days ago. She's a emerging um, emerging artist, and she's doing some really cool stuff. So here is a bit of her music. <laughs> Being introduced to the introduction of the Sampa of the Great Working with the Dave of Adventures of the Great Introduction introduced to the introduction of the Sampa of the Great Working with the Dave right now. What you heard of me, block it all slowly. Knowing you, you flapping gums, acting like you know me. Now I'm more of me, I'm more I do before I know me. See me for a shit, now walk away slowly. Walk away for me, walk away before I make an example of you. Post your picture in the hallway. Most of y'all is rapping for the fame and the glory. Sounding like you need a lesson in the alphabet, surely. A fool only try to step up to a queen. Bigger than the biggest. Now I am peace, but I am humbly on 
them naturally. And I'm obliged to be a friend, not the enemy. Intricately imagine me a lover, not a fighter. Even though I meditate, I may have to try to reconstruct the faces, trading places with our leaf. Flow like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Me, connect with me spiritually. To do that, God, I know some of your history. To do that, God, I let go of them history. Cause the man in the mirror is even more than you see. It's taken quite a minute, cause my ego's in the way. It took another minute, cause that was hard to say. The truth is that we spirits with amazing energy. That's been misused and misguided even more than I say. And I know I'm even more than I say. And I know I'm even more than they say. Throw a little problem for the sun, cause the light has variations, but the truth has none. I am the sun, I am the moon, I am the stars. I am the middle and the end and the start. And when tomorrow you don't know who you are, don't you try to search for me, cause I am infinity. And it's only to the minute. You're listening to Sin 90.7 FM. And that was a bit of Sampa the Great. And uh, she's she's been performing a bit in Melbourne. And, uh, you know, if you like her mix, find her on SoundCloud, search Sampa the Great, and you can hear more of her stuff. And, um, yeah, we are listening to Sin 90.7 FM, and we are the race government where you can get involved in all the discussions by texting on 027-767-767 or tweet us using our Twitter handle, at the race guy. Now we're back into our segment, the week that was, where we highlight the most you know, interesting things that happen during the week. And um, uh, here is a, here's a little bit of something that I thought was, was fairly interesting that happened this week. Um, and I spoke to an academic about Australia's refugee intake. Here it is. Following the ongoing refugee crisis, but with the growing displacement of people in Australia's own region, is the country doing enough? Panorama spoke to Western Sydney University academic Catherine Renshaw. You wrote your article um, talking about how Australia should be taking more leadership in terms of um, refugees and asylum seekers in their backyard. Um, for example, like the Rohingyas who are being persecuted in Burma. Is it necessary for Australia to show leadership in this area? I think, frankly, it is necessary for Australia to show leadership in this area. I think that many Australians don't realise just what a bad name Australia has in our own region because of the way we treat asylum seekers and because of our lack of contribution to a regional solution to problems such as those um, stemming from the treatment of the Rohingya in Myanmar. Um, you talked about Australia's growing, um, I guess, uh, infamous immigration policy, especially after the New York Times editorial. What do you think are the pitfalls in Australia's policy? Well, the mandatory detention of um, asylum seekers has been acknowledged around the world by the United Nations, by other countries, as as being a breach of Australia's human rights obligations. So that's not that's not a surprise. But practically, in terms of policy, um, the Prime Minister has said that the absolute goal of Australian policy is to stop the boats. Shutting down people smugglers is his response to questions about um, what Australia should be doing in the region. And what the deaths in European seas showed was that desperate people will still get into boats, even when they know that the risk is possible death, because the situation that they're in is just so hopeless. And that's what the Rohingya are doing as well. We shouldn't forget that they are leaving by boats. And at one point this year, in May this year, there were it's estimated to be 6,000 of them in boats in the seas off the shores of Southeast Asia. But they're leaving by land as well. And again, just this year, we discovered graves along the border between Thailand and Myanmar, the graves of hundreds of Rohingya and Bangladeshi people who had tried the land route to escape. Why should Australia, um, I guess, ensure the safety of refugees in neighbouring countries? Why is it so important? Well, we've got a huge global problem with refugees. 
And we have a moral duty, I think, with limited resources to do the most we can, doing what we can in our own region. There are practical reasons for this. One is that a lot of refugees want to return home when it's safe to do so. And the Syrian refugees who are being interviewed as they flood through Europe are saying our first preference would be to return home, would be for peace in Syria. From that perspective, it makes sense to settle people close to where they return. So from Australia's perspective, it's it's just no use making grand gestures to help a problem in Europe while we leave a mess in our own backyard which is where our resources could be most effectively used. What do you think of, because um, you quote in the article, Australia's joining a global bandwagon um, opposed to showing leadership in this uh, in refugee intake in this moment. Do you think Australia is being disingenuous in terms of how they go about dealing with refugee situations? No, I don't think that. I don't think there's anything disingenuous about what Australia's doing for the Syrian refugees. I think that it's a wholehearted and open-hearted response. Why I said a global bandwagon is because we are just adding to a global response. Whereas if we took a leadership position in our own region, it could make a different difference that was immeasurable to a really big number of people. And I'm thinking about what the response from the whole world would have been if a month ago, instead of saying nope, nope, nope to the Rohingya, our Prime Minister had announced an enormous one-off plan to work with the UNHCR to resettle 10,000 Rohingya who have already been identified and classified as refugees. So it would have been a great thing to do and... The really positive thing about what Australia's done in relation to the Syrian refugee crisis is open the door to debate about what more we can do long-term to make a difference. You're listening to Sin 90.7 FM and we are the race card. That was Catherine Renshaw talking to us about the current refugee crisis. So, so Mina, are we looking close to home enough? Um, yeah. Um, well, it's usually a work in progress, as it is with Australia and foreign policy and refugee intake. Um, the danger, however, with Australia's decision is that it's got this regional snowball effect. Um, when Australia decides that they don't want to take any refugees, you know, Indonesia will suddenly turn its head and be like, yeah, well, we don't want them either. And by not taking that leadership, um, we we fall we fall back, I think, from our duties. Definitely, definitely. And and also, th- there's there's a bit more concerning things that have happened this week. Um, uh, Australia's about Australia's refugee take, intake. It was reported that Australia we preferencing certain um, refugees over others. I think the Australian people would see uh, a need for that to be a focus. Uh, In recent times, a number of world leaders have in fact indicated that the Christian community is the most persecuted religion in the world, and uh, I think the plight of Christians uh, in the Middle East and elsewhere has been considerable, and if we can assist uh, that particular community, I think most Australians would welcome that. That was Erica Betts talking about Australia's emphasis on certain communities over others. What do you what do you think of uh, I guess Erica Betts's comments on the refugee issue um, at the moment, Amina? I think they're laughable. I think to say that Christians are the most persecuted people in the world when they hold hold a lot of power institutionally in the past and um, in the current present time, I think it's laughable to suggest that. And it's also um, as if to suggest that. No Christians, like people who are not Christians in the Middle East, for, for instance, are not being persecuted. I think that's quite a laughable statement. I think it's far, far from the truth. If anything, um, Muslim people are still being, you know, they're persecuted too. They're part of the whole um, casualties within the region. And coming back to that point, um, just to draw it back, as the racializing of religion, I think when we talk about Christianity, we're not just talking about Christians in the Middle East, Christians in Asia, Christians in every other place, we're talking about Christian being white, right? Because um, 
when we look at the Western world, it has presented Christianity as to be symbolic to whiteness. Um, that's not particularly, um, you know, it's it's a coded way of saying we want people who are closer to whiteness, basically. And uh, again, drawing back to the racialization of religion, to the parallels of the attacks um, of Sikhs following 9-11, again, it's not so much that they're Muslim, but it's a racializing of it, that they're racialized as a Muslim. So, you know, this weekend marks the 9-11 anniversary, 14 years. And, uh, of course, there is a, a spark, a surge of Sikhs being attacked. And a lot of people keep talking about how it's, you know, well, they're not Muslim. Well, that's the point. They don't have to be Muslim to be racialized as such because it's not about being anti-Muslim. It's about being anti-brown, anti-black, anti-yellow, like basically anything that's anti-white. Um, and... To come back for, for full circle to the idea of Christianity, um, Christians being persecuted, I want to talk a bit about familiar pain and double standards of empathy. When we um, attribute pain or when we understand pain, we do it with a lens that we can understand. And usually it is presented um, through whiteness. So if Christianity is symbolic um, of whiteness, then as Eric Abbott says, um, we recognize that pain, even though, you know, Yazidis um, and all other um, minorities and Muslim people as well are being persecuted in that region. Um, and also, double stands of empathy, talk, again, back to the 9-11, the fact that people can say, lest we forget about 9-11, yet we need to get over things like racism and um, devastating historical events, ongoing events even. I think I think that's something that we should think about. Definitely. Uh, we're going to be taking a quick music break. Here is some more of Samp the Great and her great mixtape. Chilling while they whining, working to the end of it, stressing while we smiling, whining in my dreams when I was a youth. Never did I sit behind a desk in a suit. Why they working when I bet? The riches won't follow in the end when they get. And if we all gonna die, then I live every moment till time flows I'm Gary Foley, and you're listening to The Race Card. During the you're listening to The Race Card on Sin 90.7. And uh, we're going to go back into our, um, yeah, week that was. And how important is it to learn languages? Um, while, lang while languages other than English are quickly depleting in schools, um, in South and West Australia, um, and Tara Coletto did some investigating on the issue. Um, here's more from Tara. During the last 12 months in Western Australia, there has been a 28% drop in the number of public schools teaching a language other than English. Only 377 public schools are teaching a lote subject in 2015, which is down from 523 last year. But in states like Victoria and South Australia, there are still high numbers of students completing lote subjects. So is learning these languages actually beneficial? And should more students be learning languages other than English? Panorama spoke to Joseph Lobianco, who is a professor of language and literacy education at Melbourne University. He highlights the importance of languages and believes lote subjects should be compulsory in Australia. I think it's indispensable. I think it's fundamental. I can't imagine how any serious education system in the contemporary world of massive globalisation, mobility of peoples and incredible problems and misunderstanding in the world could neglect languages. They're so critical to the ability of um, human social groups to interact with each other effectively. I believe they should become compulsory and I think that if you look at the uh, national curriculum that has been 
produced by the federal and state governments together, but it hasn't been adopted by all of them. It doesn't declare languages are compulsory, but they are effectively compulsory. They're part of the core com curriculum, and all students will be expected to take a language. Now, not all states have yet adopted it, but it's very clear that we're moving towards that position. And why would it not be the case? I mean, we think they're very important. How far up the secondary school they become compulsory is another question. Frankly, I'd put it all away, but not everyone would. Professor LaBianco said there are a variety of benefits when it comes to learning a language other than English. I think it's really important not to be just instrumental about this in terms of, you know, what will they be able to do with having studied a language. I mean, the, one of the purposes of language study is the, the insights into cultural difference and uh, diversity uh, um, of opinion and diversity of, uh, um, you know, the experience of different societies and the historical and religious and cultural. Uh, cultural patterns of different parts of the world. That's not something that's like a quantifiable benefit that you could say, well, it helped me get a job. I think it's very important that languages are understood to be both intrinsically valuable, but also they have instrumental value. They will help employment. They will help access to higher education. The majority of people in the world, in non-English speaking countries in particular, are multilingual. So why should we have an education system in which Australian young people stand out as the only people who don't know other languages? The decline in students... You're listening to Sin 90.7 FM and that was Tara Cosletto's report on the depleting numbers of LOAT, languages other than English in public schools. And uh, we're going to be taking a very quick music break and get you back some Samper the Great. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And uh, so here is some more Sampa for you. I'm trying to pull it up right now. Here it goes. Holocaust, where we have lost 
This is Amir Rahman, and you're listening to The Race Card. You're listening to The Race Card on Sin 90.7 FM, and I'm Ahmed Yusuf, your host for this evening's, this afternoon show, I should say. And um, we're going to be talking about Stonewall and the movie, and a bit of interesting things that isn't being placed in the movie. And here is, uh, Amin is going to be giving us a little bit of introduction about that. Yeah, sure. So this year marks 46 years since these historic spontaneous Stonewall riots of 1969 that sparked the mobilization of the LGBT rights movement, particularly in the United States. Bisexual trans women of color were at the forefront. Um, we're talking Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, Miss Major, the Butch, the Queens, the marginalized peoples. Fast forward to the present, and we see these very people, integral and instrumental to the movement, sidelined. Um, this topic of gay rights has now been co-opted by the cis gay men. Um, and the upcoming Stonewall film is is testament to that. It's due to a release um, later this month, uh, supposedly yeah. based on the events of 1969, um, except it features a fictional cis gay white guy as the center of the story and inaccurately attributed as the hero who started the LGBT rights movement. And this does a disservice to the black and Latina trans women who fought against the police raids. Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera are glorified psychics at best. Um, today, we've got Eden Casita to talk about this. Eden is a Sydney-based journalist, film critic, and editor of the anti-racist publication Armed. His writing has appeared in The Age, Junkie, and Aniswa. What do you make of this, Eden? Is Eden on? Yep. Hey, Eden. Oh, hey, Eden. Okay, so what do you think of this whitewashing and cis-washing of the film? What does it say when a cis-white man has to be imagined into these prolific events? I can kind of understand where the writer and director, like, why they made this decision. I think that they're trying to commodify kind of a social justice issue such as gay marriage right now. Everyone's talking about it. Um, and they're trying to make it relatable and palatable to average audiences, a.k.a. white audiences. Um, and so by doing that, they make a stereotypical gay, white, cis male so that they can understand that and view the whole film kind of through his perspective. So um, it's obviously hugely problematic because what they're inferring is that we can understand and we can sympathize with more white men, the white cis men who are gay than we can understand and learn through um, a trans people of color and, ish, and other people like that. So it's kind of just part of this bigger kind of erasure of just people's experiences who fall outside of typical um, what the media kind of perpetuate is a gay person, which is usually, as I said, like a white, blonde, cis male. So it's kind of just about this bigger issue, and it's it's hugely problematic and hugely wrong that the film would continue to just, as I said, yeah, as I said, perpetuate this whole, like, erasure of other people's experiences and just try and commodify this whole issue. Right. And I think one of the things that comes to my mind is that the erasure and poor representation of queer people of color in the media is not new, as you mentioned. But how does this representation or the lack of it affect the realities of queer people of color? Yeah, so again, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's part of this bigger, like, erasure thing. The, the thing is, traditionally through media, being a person of color and being a queer person has been kind of seen as a characteristic. So in a show, there'll be a main character and then there'll be a supporting character who's a person of color and a supporting character who's a gay friend. But you never really see a supporting character who's a gay person of color. So, um, it, yeah, it just kind of, like, separates them. It kind of makes it, like, it's acceptable and we like and we're used to um, white cis men, white cis gay men, um, being 
gay and like being in that area, but like it's really the place people of color be in that area representing them. It's so there's this idea that people of color are not queer, which is not right, right at all. <laughs> Eden, is it um, especially disappointing given, I guess, the past the past year or so with with um, oh, now no, the, the name is eluding me. Oh. Uh, hold on. Um, the past year with uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, now I'm forgetting the name. Orange is the New Black? Orange is the New Black, yes. Yeah, def- it's definitely... that's Yeah, Orange is the New Black is excellent because uh, yeah, cause it explains and talks about um, the experiences of queer people of colour because they are different to just like the average white cis male person, um, queer person, and especially trans people of colour experiences are so varied... Like, it's important to, like, give the same kind of airtime to these people. And, yeah, it's really it's, it's really sad that um, this film decided to go the route of just making it palatable, just, like, making it, like, like so that the average white... Like, it's usually um, made for American people, so it's, like, it's disappointing that they, that they think they need to appeal to the average white American who wouldn't generally watch a gay film, but... They will watch one if there's a male who's white, um, cis male, um, and gay, because that's something they can deal with. That's something they know. That's something they've been shown in the media. Um, and yeah, it just like it just makes us think like, are we going to start rewriting all films, all of history, to include um, white cis people, <laughs> like as a way of understanding it or seeing struggles? Like it's just it's it's just erasing it completely, and it's so it's. It's kind of embarrassing that they're just erasing history like that. Yeah, and I totally agree. I think desecrating a history like Stonewall, making it about a white cis gay dude, you know, like, haven't you co-opted gay pride? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) is that not enough? But yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you, guys. See ya. That was Ian uh, Cedar from Armed Armed Publishing and uh, a number of other places. Really good interview. Uh, we're going to be taking a very quick music break and uh, we'll be back with some more discussions. We're going to be moving on to our featured discussion this week, which is on media and television representation. Are we getting the diverse picture of Australia? Stay tuned for that. Uh, can I get more up in the air the, the song? Yeah, we will. Not my passport, 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 Indian ones, a pin in the bunch. My God, what a miracle much is given, much is taken. I've been in a bunch. I underestimated being in touch with myself. And who the hell was on the other side of self? Late night conversations, hard to myself. Get out of your mind. Like a minute, I was out of my time. I'm still out of my prime. My journey, why I'm walking in line, is a journey that I'm walking in time. Throw back to the mind as I climb. And them ghetto got giggles who wish I that I'm just a ripple in time. Just a measure of mine. Just beginner in the challenge of life. Fly, fly, fly. So I simmered up and never sorted. And all my dreams are dreamed by citizens and I still forgot it. Like who the hell am I to see myself in some solace? Class treat the basics. Reality is what you make it. Reality is what you make it. Reality is what you make it. Bite your tongue. 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 Think I'm looking at my passport, 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 ignorant ones, a book of a bunch, my God, how the ego decrudge, triple the root of taken, I lived in the box, I underestimated living life larger than myself, like who the hell stole the knowledge that I pre-existed previously to myself, to whom knowledge seeks knowledge finds, I was out of my mind, I'm still out of my time, my journey while I'm walking the line, is a journey that I'm walking in time, throw back to the mind as I climb, and them ghetto got giggles who wish shot at that I'm just a ripple in time, just a measure of mine, just beginner in the challenge of life, fly, 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 so I simmered up and never sorted, and all my dreams are dreamed by sitting and still forgot it, like who the hell am I to see myself as I'm a solace, class treat the basics, reality is what you make it, reality is what you make it, reality is what you make it, bite your tongue, bite your tongue, 
you make it. Reality is what you make it. It's 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 what you make it. What you This is Amir Rahman, and you're listening to The Race Card. Yes, you're listening to The Race Card on Sin 90.7 FM, and we're going to be moving on to our featured discussion this week, and uh, it's about, is our televisions showing us the diversity of wider Australia? Are they, Poppy? Um, I think there's actually quite a lack of um, diverse roles on um, on our screens, definitely in film and television, and not just that. Like even just looking at your news stations, there's a lot of very um, white sort of uh, voices on there. That's there's definitely a it's very saturated there. So we um, looked at a few cases. So this week, Game of Thrones actor Dio Bio Opari spoke up about the lack of diversity on Australian screens and the discrimination he faced. Um, Miranda Tepsil also spoke recently about the lack of diversity. Put more beautiful people of colour on TV and connect viewers in ways which transcend race and unite us. That's the real Team Australia. So some very passionate words there from Miranda Tepsil. Um, this has been highlighted before by many actors on the small and big screen in the last few years. Um, Faras Durrani, Lebanese-Australian actor, spoke up a few years ago on a similar issue that he felt on diversity. When you walk in the Sydney streets, you see so many different cultures and so many different people. Yeah. But our TVs hasn't you know, reflected that yet. And I think... Um, you know, you look at the American TV, British TV. It, you know, has uh, you know, it's got shows with d- different nationalities, and 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 not just putting nationalities just for the point of difference, but creating work that caters for um, actors of different backgrounds. And um yeah, um, I mean, the, if I feel like in reality, you see people from very diverse cultural and linguistic backgrounds in front of your face, so our screens should definitely reflect that. So this is a reoccurring issue which seems to keep actors from culturally diverse backgrounds from gaining roles and often typecasted into stereotypes, which um, is very problematic for um, I know for everyone else. So we have um, actor and producer Tegan Jones on air with us. Tegan Jones is one of the co-founders of the, the Boutique Theatre Ensemble, an initiative which showcases actors from diverse backgrounds. Hi, Tegan. Hi, how are you going? Hey, thank you so much for coming on air with us. No worries. So we've got a few questions for you. When you founded um, Boutique Theatre, did you feel it was because Australia was missing a link between um, diverse actors and jobs in the industry? Yeah, part of it. I mean, first off, my friend Emma Caldwell and I started the company and at the beginning it was very much about female roles and the lack of female roles, strong female characters on stage and on film, and then it kind of opened up into, like, as you, the segment's been going, that there aren't enough uh, culturally diverse actors being represented on any form of art, you know, really. Uh, so we, as our company has grown, we have opened up how we cast. We always say all, ethnic- all ethnicities um, to be on our casting briefs unless... The, the script itself specifically calls for a particular look or type or ethnicity, but otherwise it's open to everyone. Um, and I think that's a really good way to sort of show that, hey, you know, if you're an Indian actor or an Asian actor or um, ch- half Chinese like I am, you can feel like you can audition for that for that job. Great. Um, in terms of being typecasted, which I'm sure you've experienced, do you think it's problematic when people of colour actors take roles which may perpetuate racial stereotypes? Yeah, that's a tough one. It's hard because as an actor, you know, you want to you want to be acting and you want to make a living from it, so you kind of take the job, you know, even if, it, even if it is a stereotype and you're kind of told, well, that's just how the industry works. So it kind of is just catch-22 where you're stuck taking these stereotypical jo- jobs um, but then not getting the opportunities to be able to take other work that shouldn't matter what ethnicity you are. If you are a shopkeeper, you are a shopkeeper. Or if you're the boyfriend of someone or the girlfriend, why do you have to be a particular race? It shouldn't matter. So I think um, 
the more that we try to just go, okay, yes, there are these stereotypes in the world and that we have to kind of portray, then at other times let's try and move away from that. And I think we'll probably end up hopefully going towards a bit of a balance until these stereotypes will always be around. It's just kind of how it, how it kind of goes. Definitely. Um, well, in, you know, you've played a diverse array of roles in your career. Do you feel being able to, in a sense, switch races, you know, go from, um, I think on Radio National you said you've been um, mistaken for, like, I don't know, Filipino, um, Polynesian. Um, is that, um, yeah. yeah, is that, um, do you reckon that's been, uh, that's a benefit or is it actually a burden? Um, I'm finding now my mindset is it's a benefit in a way because I'm a bit ambiguous. So, I mean, I'm half Chinese, half Anglo Celtic, if of being completely exact of what I am. Um, but I never get cast as Chinese characters. Um, sometimes it's Latino, sometimes it's, Spanish, I've done Spanish characters, um, Japanese, um, but even just myself as a human being, like people ask me, where are you from? Um, you look like this, or aren't you this? And it's Filipino, Eskimo, South American, Hawaiian. So I kind of go, well, actually, I could just apply for all of these roles that um, are, I guess, the other in a way. So but now I kind of see it, that's, it's an opportunity. Hi, Tegan, Ahmed. Um, do you do you feel that there's an issue, I guess, a wider issue? You say that you're able to to be casted as a number of different roles, but do you do you, do you still feel that in in terms of like acting and, and on on screen portrayals that there is a default norm, in a sense that, for example, white is the norm, and for example, there was all this discussion before a couple of months, uh, ongoing for a few months about the Bond character having to be a white man and someone like Idris Elba doesn't fit that, mm. that car, like that, uh, the idea. Can you elaborate on that? Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I think that's very much what is the case that white is the norm and it's not even really, you know, on film and TV and theatre. It's, it's prevalent in our society that white is the dominant. I mean, that's just oh, how it's been for how many, how many centuries. But, um, I think I think it's fantastic that that kind of conversation is happening now. That Idris um, is is a contender for the new James Bond, and that that's a conversation. And there is a group of people that are keen to see that. Um, and hopefully, that will happen more and more as as time goes on, and that we become more culturally diverse, even more than what Australia or the rest of the Western world is. And to start letting that feed into our entertainment industry. Thanks, Stephen. You've been. Um Amazing. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can get you back on the show sometime in the future. Um, and That'll be great. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. That was Tegan, um, a notable actor, talking to us. And uh, right now, we're going to be taking... Oh, that was me fumbling to put the phone off. Um, f- um, taking a quick music break, and we're going to be playing... Um, one of Amina's selections. It is, uh, I'm gonna poorly pronounce it, and I just think, to be respectful, I'm gonna allow Amina to announce the next track. I think I'm gonna butcher this name too, but I'll say it the best I can. It's called Mahi Ve, from the cult movie Kalhona Ho. Oh. I don't know, I just don't date white guys, which is really weird, but like, it's just like, it's not necessarily a decision I made, it's just something that just sort of came, and like, I've noticed a pattern, I guess. <laughs> um, do you think the pattern is, I don't know, like a good, a good thing for you? It's worked in your favour? Yeah, it's, it's worked in my favour, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, are you fascinated with people from certain cultures more than others? Like, um, I like the Australian people here. They're really nice. Yeah, yeah, I like the Australian people. But maybe that's because they also actually migrated mostly from Europe. So, yeah, there's a bit of a connection already there. Not most people have, like, grandparents come from Europe and stuff. So they have something more yeah. to talk about. Do you have particular preferences of certain culture groups over others? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> what, what, would, what are they if you feel comfortable with? Uh, yeah, I feel a bit more comfortable around Europe, people from Europe or Aussie people, yeah. Or if they at least speak properly English or, yeah, if they look Asian but they, they are from Europe or their parents are European or Aussie, then it's a bit, a bit more comfortable. <laughs> no worries, thank you. What kind of thing we have to consider whenever we want to become a relationship first? 
Uh, I don't believe in religion, but anyway, I mean that the background of the business is important because, for example, a Muslim cannot become friends with a Jewish. Okay, so I don't believe in religions, but anyway, but it has an effect. The other thing is the one of them is religion. The other one is the nationality. For example, an Iranian cannot. Uh, there are a lot of cases, but you know, it's rare. But you know, actually, so the nationality, for example, an Iranian cannot uh, marry to, for example, I don't know, maybe Chinese. So they have some conflict. So I think two things that I wish. That was. Mahi Vey. Yeah, one of Amina's selections. Amina, you gotta suggest more music for the show. And, uh, I think that's about, that's our show for this week. I think we're almost basically done. Um, and I hope you all enjoyed our show on uh, wherever you're listening. Um, and remember, you can listen on the podcast. You can listen on the podcast, um, on our Mixcloud page as well as iTunes. If iTunes search race car and you'll find us without a doubt and also find us on Twitter at the race card. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great talking to or at, yeah, we, we talk at them unfortunately because there isn't much reply. But anyway, that's me saying goodbye. Thank you for listening. This is Amina. Thank you for listening. This is Poppy. And, uh, yeah, we're going to, to leave you with a bit of Sampa, the Great. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.